This is a tongue twisters taste. Take one, right? <coughs> you want this one to be really good? Yeah. Okay. Hey Momentum, we're introducing a new series this week called Tongue Twisters. And the goal is to clear up the confusion surrounding speaking in tongues. No worries though. This series will be in plain English. That was legit. <laughs> I love it. All right. Ready? Yeah. I feel like I'm in a, in a tunnel. Does it sound like I'm in a tunnel? Okay. All right. It just sounds like I am. All right. <laughs> uh, it's great to be here today. You guys glad to be here? Uh, we should be glad to be anywhere, right? We should be glad that we're alive. Uh, we should be glad that we're saved. Uh, how many of you guys know your destiny? You know your destination? You're going to be in heaven with Jesus, right? It's good to know that. Um, we should be ready at any moment, right, uh, for that. So, hey, uh, as you guys probably know, we are ending this series today called Tongue Twisters, and we've uh, it's a short series, uh, so we started two weeks ago. And we kicked it off. You know, this is all about trying to understand uh, what biblical speaking in tongues is, and uh, we, you know, trying to clarify the confusion because there's a lot of confusion over speaking in tongues, right? And uh, so we've been trying to do that and, and walking through Scripture. Uh, we started off in Acts chapter two uh, on the day of Pentecost, and that was a really cool thing to unpack and and see um, what uh, what was intended there. And uh, then we also were in 1 Corinthians 14 last week, and as Paul was talking about protocols, you know, protocols of proper uh, tongue speaking in the church, uh, and, and in that, of course, that text, he's contrasting genuine uh, versus um, uh, fake or counterfeit tongues, and he was also confronting uh, foolish antics that were going on and disorderly conduct that was happening. So... Uh, today, we're going to be uh, back in Corinthians, and we're going to be in two or three different spots as we wrap up this series. Uh, the subtopics today, I'm going to be talking about um, uh, signs. I'm going to be talking about this idea of cessation and also love and the use of gifts with love. So uh, let's just do this. For those of you that you've been part of the series, uh, maybe you've missed all the series, uh, we want to define tongues. So this way you understand where we're coming from based on the biblical definition of what actually uh, it is. So what is it? It's a supernatural ability by the Holy Spirit to speak a human language that you have not naturally acquired on your own in order to communicate the what? The gospel, okay? So it's a supernatural ability that God gives uh, to speak a human language, to be able to actually articulate, communicate the gospel to people. Now, here's the thing with tongues. Um, tongues primarily have been given to share the gospel to the unsaved, okay? Now, how do I know that? How do I back that up? Well, one verse I don't think that we covered last week in 1 Corinthians 14 was this verse, verse 22. It says, so then tongues are for a what? A sign, not to those who believe, but to what? Unbelievers, but prophecy. Remember what Paul said? He said, prophecy is better than tongues. He goes, I wish that everybody would prophesy. But he said, now, but prophecy is for a sign, not to unbelievers, but to who? But to believers, right. So understand this, is that uh, speaking in tongues or that gift is actually a sign gift. Now, who, who knows who uh, David Jeremiah is? Dr. David Jeremiah in California, great, great preacher. He, he actually categorized the gifts in the four main categories. He says there's speaking gifts, there's serving gifts, 
There are sign gifts, and there's also special gifts. So a sign gift is uh, one of four of them. There's uh, the gift of miracles, the gift of healing, the gift of exorcism, and the gift of tongues. So it's just a reminder here. A sign gift, just like tongues, is a supernatural ability to confirm and authenticate a message or a person. Jesus, in Mark chapter four, uh, 16, verse 20, he talked about how the apostles, those disciples, they would be able to actually do these special and these sign gifts to actually authenticate or to confirm the message. And what is the message? Jesus Christ died for your sins. He rose from the dead. Amen? That's the message. That's to confirm the message. Now, here's the thing. This is kind of a quiz if you've been paying attention during this series. What group of unbelievers needs a sign? What group of unbelievers needed a sign? The Jewish people. Okay? So you go back to Acts chapter 2 to the day of Pentecost, right? 3,000 Jewish people heard the message of the gospel. The Jewish people that they needed a sign to validate Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And you say, well, pastor, why did they need a sign? right? I mean, they had the prophets, they had the law, they had their history, they had the book of Psalms, you know, and the songs that they sang. It was part of their culture and poetry. They even had Jesus for 33 years walking around and doing all this stuff. They always wanted a sign. Matthew chapter 12, they asked, some Jews asked Jesus, Jesus, show us a sign. He goes, I'm not going to give you a sign. The only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah. It's interesting, when, you know, when, if you ever read 1 Corinthians, it's good to read the entire thing and actually understand the entire letter. If you go all the way back to 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, verse 22 to 23, listen or watch what it says. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. So the tongues, the spiritual gift of tongues was given to get the attention of the lost people. It's not in ex- for a more ecstatic worship service. It's not for having a magical and mystical experience with God. It's not to even manufacture a move of the Holy Spirit. Listen to me. Anybody that tries to manufacture a move of the Holy Spirit, that is the work of the flesh, not the Spirit. Amen? You're trying to manufacture it. That's a work of the flesh. Now, there are some people, and let's maybe put this in application for today. Uh, There are some people that are stubborn like the Jewish people were in these days. Show us a sign. Show us a sign. And sometimes you see today, people, they'll hear the truth of the Word preached. They'll hear about Jesus. They even hear testimonies of people talking about their encounter with God, but they still refuse to believe in Jesus. Oftentimes, people like that today, they need a big sign to be able to get their attention, some sort of supernatural miracle, a supernatural uh, healing, something like that, right? Uh, I'm going to pick on Michael here, but Michael just got back from Oklahoma. His brother just had a serious surgery. They didn't even think that his brother was going to make it, but he did. Amen. Praise God, right? Amen. It's good. And so it's like, you know, your brother, it's like almost this is like a sign, like this is like God's supernatural uh, touch and it's just to get his attention, right? You, you guys have probably heard this. Maybe you've said this. God, if you're real, show me a 
signs. Sometimes it takes a big thing, a healing or a miracle, to get people's attention so that they can believe in Jesus. In the first century, the Jewish people needed a sign, and one of those signs was the tongues. And if the tongues were originally given to evangelize the Jewish people, but on a national level, they have actually rejected Jesus. They've rejected the Messiah on a national level, and that's why they, they are on a, kind of a, in, a, in a spirit of stupor, so to speak. They're kind of deaf to, to the, the gospel. Then, so if, if that was what it was originally given for to the Jewish people to authenticate the gospel, are tongues still needed and useful? Do I need to do something with my microphone? It's my magnetic personality. It's affecting it. Yes, yes. Okay. Some of you guys will get that on the way out. All right. Okay. But hey, so, so here's the thing. Are tongues still needed and are they still useful? Well, I want to just in this middle part of this sermon, what I want to do is I want to look at this topic or this idea called the cessation of tongues. Now, don't get cessation confused with secessionist. A secessionist has to do with the Civil War, right? Where this, this one state seceded from the Union. That's different. The secessionist is something different. This is called cessation. This is where the root word called cease, okay? Uh, sometimes people will say, I'm a cessationist or I'm a non-cessationist. And what is a cessationist? A cessationist is someone who believes that tongues and other certain specific spiritual gifts have fully and completely ceased, uh, and it comes from really from a surface view of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8. So let, let's look at that verse real quick. I want to unpack it, and hopefully this will make a lot of sense as we kind of get into the rest of the sermon. You'll s- start to understand like, wow, this is pretty cool. So 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8, here's what it says. Love never fails. Are you guys glad that love never fails? God's love never fails. Never fails. Never, never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will what? They'll be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away, right? So that's where we kind of get this idea of ceasing. So, so here's the deal. In, first, in, in, first, in the first century, um, the book of Acts you, it talks about and uses the gift of, of tongues a lot. I mean, it seems like it's just a common thing that's happening through that. And apostles have been given this awesome gift to authenticate the gospel. But then when you move outside of the book of Acts and you start moving through the New Testament, the gift of tongues, the only other place that it's mentioned is in the book of 1 Corinthians. So here in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, it's 33 AD. Jesus has just ascended. He's been crucified. He's, he's been dead, buried, ascended to heaven, right? And so then 22 years later, the book of 1 Corinthians is written, okay? So AD 55. This is the only other mention of the gift of tongues. So the question comes to the surface like, wait a second, did this spiritual gift die after that or has it actually continued? So just like in the rest of this series, I'm going to do this a little bit, and I'm not sure if you, some people are like, I don't care about this, but I'd like to know this. So I'm just going to let me teach a little bit of uh, Greek a little bit. Is it okay with you guys? Now, I'm not a Greek scholar. Uh, I barely have a hard time just actually doing my English, right? I mean, some of you guys know what I'm talking about. So, so but like, here's the thing about English and Greek uh, in all languages. You've got nouns, you've got verbs, and you know, all these other things, right? So in a Greek language, you've got verbs. Okay? Now, with verbs, all verbs, they have a tense, they have a voice, and they have a thing called mood. 
Now, I'm not going to talk about mood today. Some of you guys are in a good mood, but we're, going to talk, we're not going to talk about that. But we're going to talk about actually tense and voice for just, just a couple of minutes. And this will actually start to make sense to you. So let's think about tense and let's think about voice. Let's talk about a tree. Let's say that we want to move a tree, okay? So if I say to you, I plan to cut a tree down, what tense is that? Is that future tense, past tense, or present tense? Future tense, right? I plan to cut it down. If I say, I am cutting it down, that is present tense. If I say, I cut it down, that is past tense, right? So you guys are smart. You, your tracking would be good. Okay, well, what about voice, right? Voice. Let's talk about the death of a tree. Okay, let's say that I cut it down. If I say that I cut it down, that is called active voice of the verb, okay? If God cuts it down, maybe he uses a storm, rips it right out of the ground, right? Whatever, that is called the passive voice. But if the tree dies on its own, or even maybe it revives on its own, maybe it was drying up and dying, all of a sudden there was water that got to the roots, that would be what we call middle voice. So we have active voice, we have passive voice, we have middle voice, we have future, past, and present tense. So track with me. The gift of prophecy and the gift of knowledge that we just looked at in 1 Corinthians 13, it says that it will be done away. It's in the future tense, it's in the passive voice, which means that sometime in the future, God is going to end those gifts. Now, what about tongues? He says that tongues will cease. It's in the future tense of the verb, but the middle voice, which means that tongues will cease on their own without interference or persuasion. So when we look at this word in the, word, in the Greek, the word cease, it's where we get the English word pause. Pause. You guys ever paused? Right? You paused? So... It's going to cease or pause. Now, um, I'm not, when I tell you this little story, this is not to be braggadocious. It's just, it's just to say that God has put some people in my life to help me to understand some things. So I've uh, been privileged to have some really good mentors um, uh, in early part of my ministry. And one of my mentors was Dr. Wayne Barber. And uh, Dr. Wayne Barber, um, um, you know, he's well-known in some circles, but it was pretty cool. In, doc, in Dr. Barber's um, uh, church that he had in Chattanooga, he had two very well famous, famous Christians in his church. One of them was a, a lady by the name of Kay Arthur. Who's ever heard of Kay Arthur, right? Uh, it's Precept Ministries, right? So she was one of uh, the members of the church. Another member of the church was a guy by the name of Dr. Spiros Zodiades. And so, uh, Dr. Spiros Odiades was, at the time, probably one of the world's leading Greek scholars. Actually, probably was a great Hebrew scholar as well. Uh, AMG Ministries, uh, they produce lots of materials. But uh, he was telling me, you know, of course, Spiros Odiades taught my mentor Greek, okay? And so uh, I was studying this text, and I was trying to understand the middle voice. And so I call, called up uh, Wayne, Dr. Barber, and... He was in Albuquerque at the time, pastoring a church there. And I asked him, I said, Wayne, I said, what does this mean? I said, I'm trying to grasp what this whole idea of middle voice is and speaking, you know, the tongues will cease and all that. He said, Steve, he goes, let me illustrate it this way. 
He says, imagine you're in West Texas, and you're just driving down this flat road. And he's never been in West Texas, right? It's like you drive forever, and you don't see anything at tumbleweeds, right? So he's imagining you're on this flat road. You're driving, you're at, say, at 60 miles per hour, and you're driving, but all of a sudden, you just, you know, you let off the gas. If you let off the gas and you don't touch it again, what's going to eventually happen? You know, you either come to a stop, but if your engine is idling high enough, you'll still move slightly, maybe one mile, five miles per hour or whatever. And, um, but he said that any time that you want to, you can actually shift it in a sense back into first gear or re-engage the gas pedal to get it going again. He said, Steve, that is the middle voice of the Greek verb of tongues will cease when he's talking about that it will actually be in a pause state that can be re-engaged at any time in the future. So, church history, first century, tongues is going at 60 miles per hour. It's moving at a fast rate. It's aggressive. It, the, the gift of tongues is being used everywhere to be able to evangelize the Jewish people and also the, the Greeks and the Gentiles. And what happened is eventually, eventually, the, in a sense, the gas pedal was released and that gift began to coast. It began to slow down, slow down to a point to where it was idling. The engine is still running, ready to re-engage at any time in the future. You guys with me so far? Now, it probably is going to be fully re-engaged when Jesus comes back and we come back with him and he sets up his millennial kingdom. There's going to be people on the earth that will not die during the tribulation. It'll be in, you know, all over the place, maybe in, in an Amazon jungle or wherever they're at, and that Jesus would use us to go and maybe possibly evangelize those people to be able to speak in their tongue to share the gospel. Now, it's just my take on it. But here's the question. Does biblical tongues still happen today? Are there occasional manifestations where someone is given this supernatural ability by the Holy Spirit to speak a human language that they have not learned in order to communicate the gospel? What I'm going to do, I'm just going to share a couple of examples of this happening. Now, there are people I've actually talked to in this congregation, you know of stories where this has actually happened. I'm just going to share a couple with you. I'm going to give you one as a second hand, and the other one's I'm going to give you a first hand, okay? Second hand is this. There's a friend of mine named Mike, and Mike is in Tennessee, and Mike and I have done some mission work together. Primarily, most of our mission work has been done in Pennsylvania, where we were in some Amish communities and, and planting, uh, doing church plant work. And uh, he was telling me a story one time that his previous church that he was at at the time he said that he, there was a layman in his church, a guy in his church that wanted, had a heart. He wanted, to go and, he wanted to go to Russia. He wanted to go on a mission trip to Russia, all right? And so he goes on this trip. The guy doesn't know a lick of Russian at all, nothing. And so he gets there, and he's asking God, Lord, help me to be able to do some evangelism with these Russian people. You know what happened? Two days later, the guy is speaking fluent Russian sharing the gospel. Here's a first-hand account. Uh, in 2009, I guess it was just a few months before I left my first pastorate, so it's 10 years ago, um, I, somehow, I don't know how I got these Bibles, but somebody gave me a case of Spanish Bibles. And I'm holding this box, I'm like, what am I going to do with this? 
I don't know anybody who speaks Spanish, right? I mean, that doesn't make any sense. So I had this, this box of, of Spanish Bibles in my office, and I'm like, what am I going to do, right? And so anyway, I started calling around, and I started connecting, and I found this guy who was the assistant pastor of a congregation that was an English-speaking Caucasian uh, um, congregation uh, in the county, but also found out that this guy was also the lead pastor for a Spanish-speaking church. So I called him up and I said, hey, I would like to get together with you. I got some Bibles. Uh, you know, could you use them? Yeah. I said, well, let's get together. So we meet at a Mexican restaurant. You know, what do you imagine that, right? So we meet at a Mexican restaurant and we're sitting there and within a couple minutes, the waiter shows up and this guy is from Mexico and he didn't speak very good English, but really good Spanish, of course. This guy that I'm meeting with starts having this incredible conversation. I mean, it was like, man, this guy's dialogue is awesome, man. They're, they're just talking just like, you know, it's nothing. And so he gets done talking to the waiter. And I said to him, I said, brother, I said, uh, so did you, uh, did you take uh, Spanish in high school? No. Well, did you, uh, did you do Rosetta Stone? No. And he was very hesitant to respond to me with an answer. Because I think because maybe of being judged about tongues and all that kind of stuff. And I said, well, what, what actually happened? How did you learn Spanish? He goes, well, he said, um, God gave me the ability. And he goes, I was able to speak and write and understand in Spanish in one week. And so I look at him and I said, so God manifested the gift of tongues to you to reach people who speak Spanish. He said, that's right. What's interesting was in that county... In that neighborhood or that community part of the county that he was in, there was all these migrant workers, agricultural workers that were from Mexico and other parts of Central America. And here's what happened to him. He saw all these people and he got a burden. He was like concerned about their, their eternal life. He goes, I am concerned about those people. He started getting a burden for these people. You know what he did? He prayed to God and he said, God, if it's, if, if, if it's your will, Lord, I would like to be able to communicate the gospel to these people. You know what God did? Gave him the spiritual gift of tongues, of Spanish, to be able to share the gospel. And now, then, so whenever we met, he was, he, he was pastoring like 50 of them, getting up and preaching in Spanish, right? So th isn't that awesome? So that's what it's for. That's what it's for. It's about sharing the gospel. So with a sign gifts here of tongues, occasionally God will manifest to people to share that gospel in a language that they don't know to people who don't understand maybe your language. So have, have tongues ceased? They've paused, maybe they've slowed down, but God can still re-engage it at any time. There's one last thing I want to share with you as we close this sermon, as we close this series. This, this may be the most important part of the entire series, and I want you to hear but let me ask you this question. Have you ever heard of the expression, it's not what you say, it's, it's how you say it? It's not what you say, it's how you say it. So when it comes to spiritual gifts, all spiritual gifts, it doesn't matter which gift it is, but especially tongues as we're talking about that in this series. But when it comes to all the spiritual gifts, it's most important to understand, not that you're supposed to use it, whatever gift you have, but how you use it that gift. Every single nation, every tribe, every culture has a tongue. There's a national language, there's local dialects within all those languages, and there's some people 
Uh, and I kind of get jealous because some of you can do that. Some of you in this room, you're bilingual, and that's awesome. Some of you are trilingual. I try to be lingual, but I don't do a good job with that. But, but some people say, hey, English ought to be the, you know, the world language. It should be the, you know, the language by, that's used by every single culture. Well, here's the thing. The reality is there's one language that's universal. You know what that language is? Love. Love is the universal language. Love speaks louder than words. Love is heard by all, seen by all, felt by all. So maybe we smile. Maybe we open up a door. Maybe we pick up something that someone's dropped, you know, and their hands are full and you help them out. Maybe we just listen to somebody. Whenever it comes to human communication, understand this, it's how we say it is more important than what we say. Even how what we do say and what we do not say. It's very important on how we express our tongue. The universal uh, gift of tongues, or excuse me, of love, I want you to understand something within the context of what we're talking about. So I, I know I've taught, about this, taught on this several times this year. I've said this, but here's the thing. When you read the Bible, context is always important. You guys agree? Context is so vital in understanding, interpreting any scripture. So it's very important to understand this. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, all the way through chapter 14, what is the context? Paul's talking about spiritual gifts. Chapter 13, right in the middle of that, all of a sudden, Paul does this exposition of love. It's a beautiful chapter on love. He speaks on love within the context of spiritual gifts. So the best way, whatever your spiritual gifts are that you guys have, that God has given to you by the Holy Spirit... The best way to exercise your spiritual gift is with love. You may have a speaking gift. You might have a serving gift. You might have a special gift. You might have even a sign gift. And here's the thing. You are to operate within love. Because if you don't do it without love, it's very unfruitful. Amen. God may manifest a supernatural ability to speak in tongues to you. You may be able to speak the truth to someone. You may, be, you may have the gift of prophecy to be able to just, boom, black and white, there it is, here's the Word of God. You may have awesome knowledge of the Word of God. You may have the spiritual gift of discernment so you can recognize good from evil and, and advantage from disadvantage. But if you don't speak the truth in love, it does nobody any good. Amen? How do we know that? How do we do that? Well, Let's look at this a little bit here as we come to a close. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 through 7. Now, you guys know, I'm sure you've read this verse. I think we did it. We did it at your wedding or something like that. Yeah. Hey, by the way, you guys know that these two got married? You guys know that? All right. Amen. Has it been a month now? Month and a half? All right. Six weeks. This is going by fast. But what is love? Paul describes what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not jealous. Love does not brag. It's not arrogant doesn't become, act unbecomingly, it doesn't seek its own, it's not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So, how we speak with our tongue, how we speak, how we listen, how we respond, how we do that is absolutely vital. So here's a question. How are we, how are you conveying Jesus to others with your tongue? Do we exercise patience? 
Do we use negative jealousy? Are we arrogant? Are we selfish? Do we hold grudges? Do we keep a list of wrongs as a constant reminder to people? Paul says, hey, this is what love is, and this is what love is not, especially when we think about using our spiritual gift. How we express it is very important. How is our Jesus talk? You guys agree that we live in a twisted world? Oh, yeah, we live in a very twisted world. The last thing the world needs is a twisted gospel. This is called tongue twisters. We can twist our tongue in a way that we twist the grace and the mercy and the love of God. Others need to hear God's love come from our lips. Others need to see God's love shown through our hands. And I love what Paul says in another book that he wrote, another letter he wrote. He basically said this, May our speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, right? Seasoned with salt. So they'd be find grace to the hearers. And I think about that. When you think about salt, salt is a representation of the Holy Spirit. But we're to always speak with grace. We're to season our conversation with salt. You know, we make our conversations, our, our talk, our, use our tongue in a, in a way that's salty for others. You know, what, what does salt do whenever you eat salt? Does it make you thirsty? Right? There's an old expression, you, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. But here's what you can do. You can salt his oats. So when we're thinking about as we, how we use our own personal tongue, our own language, and how we're expressing Jesus, may we do it in such a way that we speak with grace. May we season our conversation with the salt of the Holy Spirit so that way people will be thirsty and they will want to drink from the living water. Amen. The Holy Spirit talking through us so that they might respond to the gospel of Jesus. The bottom line, as Paul said to the Corinthian church, he said, I wish that all of you spoke in tongues. I wish that all of us would speak in a tongue of truth and love. Amen. Let's pray together. Thanks for listening to the Momentum Life podcast. To find out more about Momentum Church, visit MomentumChurchAZ.com.